0: What is up, my Abrahamic homies? It's Mark, and today I'm gonna continue the Build Wealth Like an Ant series. We're almost there, guys. We got this one and one more. But what I wanted to do is, one thing that I've heard as I've been milling around amongst you is that there's sometimes a inherent bias against investing in what I'm calling here boring stuff like stocks and bonds and I wanted to write an article that sort of sung the praises of the boring stuff of the 401k plan that your work offers and the stocks and bonds that you might put into an IRA. I don't think that this is necessarily supposed to be the foundation of your family's multi-generational wealth picture. I think it can be but I do think it has a place. And so today we're gonna talk through why you should invest in at least some boring stuff. As we consider how to build wealth like an ant, we've covered a couple of topics thus far. First, we discussed the imperative to work while it's summer. That means that almost every one of us who sets out to build wealth will need to put our nose to the grindstone and work for a season during which we'll acquire skills and resources. For most of us, it means that we'll find an employer and earn a salary, at least for a while. This is just as true of an aspiring plumber as it is of a wannabe CEO. Next, we discussed the importance of managing that earned income. We called it storing provisions in autumn. Because of the magic of compounding interest, The combination of earning more than you need to live on and saving your extra in a vehicle that will produce returns leads to inevitable wealth. That wealth can be your fuel for future ventures, or it can be the wealth that your family uses to fund other components of your family vision. Then we gave you a bit of warning for those wonderful seasons of earning and saving. It's the simple but oh-so-powerful caution against worshipping your job. If you think that your title makes you an important person, or if you're super stressed out, underslept, and uninteresting, you might have job worship syndrome. This is a very important skill to stay connected to, lest you smart, gifted workers impress your bosses a bit too much, and then because of what I called in that article, the deal, you'll have to read it to know what that means, they start to put your identity into your employment. But you, this is a no for you, my friends. This is not our look. So this week we're continuing this incredible, inspiring, and practical series with a highly tactical look at how the boring investment vehicles of stocks and bonds can work to your advantage. While I'm a big fan of things like new businesses and real estate, today I'm going to talk about the stuff that scrolls across the CNBC ticker when you're in line at the bank. Stocks and bonds, my boys, these things can be a powerful piece of the puzzle for the construction of long-term wealth. No, that's not supposed to be funny. It's true. So at this point, you're either rolling your eyes, so frustrated that your whiz-bang genius favorite outpost building blog is selling out to talk about something so boring and worldly as the stock market, or you're licking your chops ready for the next hot stock tip that's gonna earn a 4,000% return as soon as we blast out of the currently depressed stock market that's been brought on by viruses and unemployment. Oh boy, you're instinctively musing, and analysts read on yield market. Bulls, bears, hedges, straddles. Whoa. Settle down, buster, or you might just be reading because you assume it's good for you. Fair enough. Someday, we'll do a whole article on why stock picking is a fool's game, but for now, Let me just give you a couple thoughts on why we at Abraham's Wallet do not endorse any strategy that aims to beat the market. First, it's become super easy to own the entire market by using index or mutual funds to hold tiny pieces of almost all the securities that are traded. This is so sweet because on average, 87% of all individual stocks are outperformed by an index capturing the performance of the overall stock market each year. So if you think about that, that means that the winners tend to win significantly bigger than average, and it's very hard to pick the winners. So based on that stat, you can either hope and try to guess which stocks that you're aware of, which again is a teeny tiny fragment of the market, are going to be a part of that 13%, or you can just buy the overall market. The bond market is a bit harder to characterize this way, but it's safe to say That you can usually achieve your fixed income goals very inexpensively by investing in similar broad indices instead of paying hefty fees to some nerd who may or may not beat a comparable index fund. Third point here even if it's possible to beat the market, and it isn't, not repeatedly over long periods of time, you're probably not the guy who's gonna do it. Did you know that there's substantial evidence suggesting that by doing exactly The opposite of what retail investors do, Uh, by the way, that's you, Uh, fund managers and institutional investors can actually make a whole lot of money. This is because as much as you may want to believe otherwise, the information about all the stocks and bonds in the world is generally already priced into the stock market by the time you get a shot at purchasing it. Because institutional money managers are slinging around billions of dollars, they can profit from minuscule information edges that may only move prices by a penny or two. Whereas for most of us, the cost of the trade would make that a bad deal even if we were right about the result. Who wants to pay 10 bucks to buy a stock because you know it's going up 2 cents? Not us. If you need more convincing head over to the blog. I put some links in there to something called Efficient Market Hypothesis. You can just take my word for it that we're not alone in our convictions here or you can go there and you can read all you want about uh, why it's very hard to beat the market. So the conclusion is don't do stock picking. It's dumb and you'll lose. Okay, Abraham's wallet, I see that owning broad swaths of the market for stocks and bonds is a better bet than picking individual securities, but you still haven't convinced me that stocks and bonds are even important to own in the first place. My uncle Romulus made all his money starting a landscaping business. To that we say, great question, Remus. Why are stocks and bonds worth owning for a multi-generationally minded family man? Let me take a crack at convincing you of the ways in which these boring assets can actually power and support all of your other wealth-building efforts, shall I? Here we go. Historically, a balanced portfolio of 70% stocks and 30% bonds has returned an annual average of just under 10% since 1926. This is an amazing stat I just gave you. It should change your life if you like growing money, which... You should be doing. That means that even including periods such as the Great Depression, stocks and bonds have been a pretty dang good investment for the long run. Of course, there have been 12-month periods in which these investments have not fared so well. Between March 2008 and February 2009, stocks lost 60% of their value in the U.S. So watch this conclusion because it's an important one. Stocks, and to a lesser extent bonds, make a terrible short-term investment, but a totally solid long-term investment. Additionally, unlike the aforementioned small businesses and rental homes, stocks and bonds do not require your daily labor and intervention to do their thing. Commence with hallelujahs, ye who have dabbled in landlording, as have I, with little to show for it. While smart asset allocation and investment management can substantially increase your returns, even when you're using an own the whole market strategy, but more on that in a later post, you're not responsible for the daily operations of the companies you own. So stocks and bonds can grow your money while you invest your time and labor elsewhere. Basically, you're lending your money to these companies, helping them do work, trusting the good old ingenuity and diligence on their part will bring home an increase on your part. By way of example, I began building a small portfolio of stocks and bonds in high school. While I never made a killing, I used summers and breaks to work and earn money, and since there are only so many subwoofers that you can fit into a 1995 Chevy Blazer, I had some leftover coin. My father had been very intentional about communicating to me that if I invested a little bit now, Having a shockingly large pile of money later, so long as I left it alone. By the time I was 18, I had managed to put about $10,000 into an account. Pretty nice, right? And though I was still skeptical and greedy, let's admit it, our desire to have big money quick is generally rooted in greed. I played along and mostly forgot about the money for years. Let's say I wanted to tap into that high school wealth now and that it's grown by 10% for the sake of easy math for the past 20 years. Are you excited for me? I am. Let's check and see what's in my cash stack, okay? Well, I would have more than $67,000 to work with. 67 grand. Could you survive for a year on $67,000 while you labored to get a new business started? Could $67,000 be a solid down payment on an asset that would produce income for your family for the next four generations? Or, if you love your 9-to-5 gig, could you leave that 67000 in place and let it grow until you're 68 years old and have well over a million bucks to fund your needs in retirement? Yes, on all counts. And this, my hombres, is why stocks and bonds are important to almost every person's financial picture, especially when you get started early. And I want you to remember back to part two of this series, starting early is important. So I'm wrapping up, but here's the main point. These boring investments actually form a fantastic foundation for future investments because they give a high degree of flexibility to their owner. So if you think that someday you'd like to, uh, I don't know, have a run at starting a business, accumulating family assets, even pursuing generosity that far exceeds your current dreams, then we think you should be putting a portion of your earnings into good old boring Stocks and bonds. One caveat this is not an article about the nitty gritty details of asset allocation or expected investment returns. I personally would love to cover those topics at some point if you guys have an appetite for some first order nerdery. But today isn't the day. I'm using very simple numbers and ideas on purpose. But in the next and final exciting episode of this series, I'm going to go one step further on the topic and discuss how to invest in stocks and bonds through common tools like your employer's 401k plan or an individual retirement account. Oh boy. Until then, keep on working and saving so that you, my friends, may build wealth like the ant. For Abraham's Wallet, I'm Mark Perry.